Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are coming to you right now with a lot of hope, a lot of love, a lot of chuckling, a lot of happiness. This is a great time. It's quite a rebound from last week as yeah. well. So I'm thinking back to last Tuesday, which was election day. And we, as we were watching the results, we started seeing the Florida results coming in, which were overwhelmingly oh my God. to Trump. If I have to look at Miami-Dade County again, or honestly, any county in the US. I saw a great tweet from comedian Neil Brennan that was like, America... You counties having motherfucker. <laughs> there are so many counties in Miami-Dade County is like etched into my brain still. It's yeah, it was horrifying. So we decided on Tuesday night, we're like, well, we just need to go out and look at the stars because this this election is proceeding in a horrifying way. Yeah, the direction. stars don't care. The stars don't care. We'll wish on a star. And so we started walking outside to this open field uh, in our backyard area. And David started, he pointed to a star and was like, let's wish on this one. I'm like, David, that's Mars. <laughs> then he pointed to a second star and I was like, David, that's an airplane. And that was, I feel like, about how the night was trending in terms of election optimism and election hope. And then to top it all off, we turned around and walked back inside and we passed our neighbor's house. And in Boulder, you assume that most people, like probably 90% vote for- At least you assume. You assume for Biden. Just At least like publicly, like, there's no flags. Exactly. No yeah, flags. Yeah. And our neighbors have a Tesla. So we're like, okay, they're into the environment. Multi two Teslas. Two Teslas. Yeah, they're really, they're really uh, doing well in that Tesla game. And what do you know? They had a Trump blanket sprawled across the chair um, that we could see through in their kitchen. And it was one of those moments where it like fully dawned on me. I was like, holy crap, this might not be good. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those like voyeuristic moments because I'm like, these people have a vineyard in their backyard. <laughs> they have two Teslas and a big old Trump blanket and they have a golden retriever. I was like, I will never look at that golden retriever again. I know. I was like, Goldie. Maybe Goldie's a part of the resistance. That's my hope. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, obviously on Tuesday night, Fardo in Ohio were, were the, that type of news. And, you know, before the election, we all heard how results were going to come in. It was going to be a little bit slower this year, especially with mail-in votes. And at the same time, seeing it happen was so much of a flashback to 2016 and that anxiety that at least for me, my anxiety just started peaking to the max in a way that like, I I didn't have a wrist-based heart rate sensor on, but I imagine I was just background like VO2 max workout for days. Well, you were giving me direct commands in a way that I've never seen you give direct commands. You were like, don't watch those needles yeah, yeah. because I was just pinned to New York Times watching the needles well megan's like a statistician you know she's an epidemiologist she's like the needles on the new york times just thinking about the needles honestly screw those needles <laughs> and megan was like looking at him like megan don't look at the needles if we don't look at the needles like in some way that will influence it it's like the heisenberg principle where you measure it and it changes it well i think there needs to be a new phobia out there in the world so people often have needle phobia yeah. where like they're scared of getting vaccines or shots oh i think there's God. a new needle phobia for the new york times needles that related to elections so true just thinking about those needles even now i mean granted now i can like laugh and i'm pretty much high on life so it's a little different um but then even on wednesday you know the all the statisticians started to say, okay, this actually does look really good, particularly for Pennsylvania, the big bellwether state. Um, and I come in from my run and I'm really feeling hope. And Megan's sitting there at her com computer working her butt off. And um, she just barely glances up really quick and is like, um, I think it's looking great for Trump um, with like a smile. And my heart dropped to the floor, down through the floor, through the basement, all the way to the center of the earth. And then I, she looked at me and was like, oh, wait, 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 that came out wrong. I meant Biden. <laughs> Things are looking good for Biden. Um, and sure enough, you know, as we learned the rest of the week, yeah, it, it really was. Um, you know, at this point, it's looking like probably over 300 electoral votes, but who knows? Who knows if the system will hold up? But on Saturday night, I think it all really did come to a head when, you know, the whole world's out celebrating and Kamala and Biden 
get out and get to give their speeches. And like, I mean, at least for me, it was just such a moment of like letting go, letting go of something I didn't even know I was carrying. I totally agree with that. And I also think too, so flashback to when Kamala got the results of the election, she was out on a run, which yeah. I think is super cool because Biden or Trump was playing golf, which is so fitting <laughs> for like the two of their personalities. And it made me think about all the times that I've gotten phone calls on runs. And when your moving time on Strava is like way, way, way less than your elapsed time. And I'm like, Kamala has the best excuse in history yeah. for having a big discrepancy between her moving that time and the last time. Such a good story. Like often it's like, P's, like the number of times you have to stop to pee. For her, it's like becoming the first Madam Vice President, the first female Vice President, the first Black Vice President, the first um, Indian American Vice President. I mean, it's just such a, an incredible moment of reflection. Um, and, you know, I think in logs too, we saw that after that happened, after the announcement was officially made, it was this ultimate just like big hug moment where you know i think we all are very proud to be an american given even though even given all of its faults right like i will say that america has tons of faults but like i love the us and like i love what it stands for and getting to see kamala up there and then you know joe biden who's been through so much it was just such a i don't know it's such a i mean I, right now i'm like you know, getting chills talking about it. Such a meaningful moment. To me too, Biden's journey is just yeah. so meaningful. I mean, he's endured great loss. He's been on this journey of decades for trying to reach the president-elect position, for trying to be a president. And to see him go through and achieve that through the vehicle of kindness to me is just something that's like inspiring as a human being. But what was most inspiring <laughs> to me was the fact that he did this like victory ultra shuffle going to go take the podium to give his speech. And I wish they had a specific Strava segment for Joe Biden oh in that gosh, moment yeah. because it was like, it just was very cool. And I think it like that is the type of authentic kindness and enthusiasm and energy that we need right now is embodied in that ultra shuffle. Yeah. And I just loved it. Also, so much. that ultra shuffle clearly had two two fingers for the, you know, the sitting president. Who two was, middle fingers. Yeah, yeah, who's always called him low energy and, and like old and everything like that. And I mean, it gets back like say what you want about Biden or any of these politicians. Like we are all flawed individuals. But you know, I think that one side right now is really open with flaws, like as we all should be. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, I mean, hopefully Megan and I are open with our flaws too. And one side is absolutely not, or at least with, with Trump, like one, it, maybe even clinically unable to see those flaws. And I think that's really coming out in the, in the post-election. Um, like, I don't even know what you would call this, the shit storm. Um, I mean, I was really hopeful on Saturday and Sunday and then seeing like these Republican senators that know better come out and say things that they clearly don't believe is just, it's disheartening and hopefully it's just a, a minor blip on the radar because you know democracy is on the line it has been on the line and hopefully it won't have to be on the line too much longer that's a great point about democracy being on the line i feel like this truly was a stress test for democracy i mean it like it shows the power of people like stacy abrams showing up to get people to get out there yeah, and vote. all the organizers everywhere like I, you know i in my lawyer job i got to work with organizers in alaska and louisiana and seeing the way that they work it's like you know right now for example there's all this talk of oh, you know, meet halfway or find healing. And the point is find healing. Look at what, look at the news right now. Like wherever, whenever you're listening to this, you're going to see some Republican senator saying that Pennsylvania shouldn't count. It's like, obviously this is totally disingenuous. You can't heal when people don't accept reality or at least like are, are 
you know, and so what the way the way the organizers work is like, okay, the point isn't to meet that halfway. The point is to push forward with, you know, with like, Stacey Abrams registering everyone in, in Georgia the, and um, the people I worked with in Louisiana that are just like, okay, we are going to church basements and we are going to get people involved and, you know, make this a true democracy because, you know, the point in democracy isn't that everyone is going to be perfect. No one's perfect. The point is that as a whole, we are good. People are good. Even the people that voted for Trump are good for the most part. And like, when you add it all up, it can be something beautiful, but that needs organizing. It needs all of us to like, you know, use our platforms, whatever that is. That's a great point. Just to keep the fight going right now. Yeah. I think when you look at the, I mean, the popular vote is fascinating because Biden won large, by a large margin, but it's also scary because there were 70 million votes that at the end of the day wound up going to Trump. Yeah. And so it's like, I think that just underscores the need to keep this fight going and to keep, you know, I think like, the reason that Donald Trump got elected in 2016 is because there were a lot of systemic problems that he took advantage of. And yeah. that combined with the 70 million votes just highlights the need to keep this fight going continuously and continuously and continuously. Yeah. But like, you know, last point on this, it's just such a hopeful moment. I mean, um, it's so hard to overcome someone like Trump, you know? I mean, clearly at this point, if you're looking at what he's saying, there's some narcissism or some, some. it might not even be his fault, not to give him credit, but like something is happening there. But for America to come together and find a way past that, when so many countries have not been able to do that, what a cool moment for institutions and the rule of law and all these other things that we hold dear. Like, I, I mean, you know, I always had flashbacks like, thinking about the founding fathers and be like, oh my God, they would be so disappointed, you know, even though they had their flaws too. But then now I'm like, I bet this is like, would be the ultimate moment of pride that this system that was developed so long ago and had all these flaws has been able to grow and hopefully, I mean, look at Kamala up there talking and it's like, wow, that's so freaking beautiful. And I'm, I'm so happy. And, and thanks, thanks to you all for, you know, fighting the good fight too. Um, that being said, my body is still a little bit wrecked from last week. I was actually going to comment on that because you're sitting here, which is like so much. I can just feel the energy coming yeah. from you right now. And it's great because I said to you before this podcast, like 20 minutes ago, I'm like, are you sure you're okay to do this podcast? Yeah. Because you looked like a walking zombie with glassy eyes after the bike workout that you just did, drinking bubbly water, which I told you was going to make you burn. So yeah. Kudos for rallying this energy. And I give the credit to uh, Kamala and, and yeah. uh, Joe Biden for making this possible. Well, I'm on the bike because my ankle hurts a little bit and ankle hurts a little bit because last week was like such a high background stress. Megan and I both took down weeks and just tried to survive. Um, and I think now, like, I don't know, we have the ultimate endorphin performance enhancing power. I think a good analogy for that is last week was kind of like going through an awful stomach bug. Yeah. And this week is returning to normal and just having appreciation for like that feeling of actually feeling normal for once in life, but still having a little bit of like the background inflammation and fatigue from going through that terrible stomach bug. It's so true. So USA, USA, you know, I think often people that, you know, fight for social progress are good. Like, oh, we don't love the country. It's like, no, for USA. I mean, Stacey Abrams loves the country. Like, all these organizers love the country. And this is so hopeful. And we're all going to accomplish so much. And it's going to happen together. Um, the next couple of months might be interesting, though. Should we keep the hope train going with the, the COVID vaccine? Yeah, let's talk about the COVID vaccine. Megan, the PhD uh, epidemiologist, like, what are what are you hearing? What are you thinking right now? Like, when I saw that, the first thing is like, okay, Megan, what do you actually think of this headline? So Pfizer announced on Monday, which was yesterday, that they have this development of a new COVID vaccine um, that they're, they're claiming has 90% effectivity. Uh, and that's awesome. I mean, I think that's like a huge thing. And also kudos to Pfizer because they waited until after the election to release <laughs> these results, which I'm pretty sure is not a coincidence. Like, yeah. I think they did this on purpose. We're going to need like an oral history there. Some like long think piece about how that decision was made and how how, 
how that came to be with the announcement, because I imagine a lot of thought went into that. Other props to Pfizer on this too, is, is that 30% of the participants in the US in this study had racially and ethnically diverse backgrounds. And um, that's something that actually hasn't been the norm for some of these COVID studies. And I was really glad to see them um, incorporate that into their study design. Um, I will say this though, is, is that there is a lot of hope and a lot of optimism surrounding the vaccine, um, but we're still waiting for the full phase three results, um, which would yeah. be, um, and for publication in a peer review journal. So I'm curious to see what scientists are going to say once they dive into the full study results as the publication comes out. Were there any like numbers or statistics that jumped out to you in there? Yeah, the one thing that I that jumped out to me was is that right now there's a pretty small case count of, of actual COVID cases. So there's 94, um, which means that the confidence and confidence intervals surrounding that 90% estimate are likely pretty wide. Um, and it, that doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily like, it just might mean that that 90% is higher than we're actually going to see. But the thing is, is 90% is fantastic. Like yeah. if we have 60%, that's great. And so to me, the general trend is something that's showing in, in a positive direction, even if that 90% may not be that end value that, that winds up being. Well, that seems really good though. Like if the, if 90% is like the mean or media, whatever you would call it right now, I'm not going to try to use your language. Then even if the confidence intervals are really big and it changes a little bit, like it's super exciting for 2021 and the future of like regaining normalcy in some sense. The general trend is great. The other thing though that's interesting is that it's going to take quite a Herculean effort to distribute these vaccines. So the vaccines require being stored at 94 degrees below zero, which is cold. That is mine. I didn't realize that until you said this. So there's going to be, I mean, you need like ultra low temperature freezers to store these both in shipping and in storage. And so it's going to create a number of logistical issues. And I was thinking yesterday, I was like, man, maybe I should invest in a freezer storage company. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we need to find out who does freezer storage and get all of our dog treats invested in there to like multiply our returns. Um, any other thoughts that you have about that subject? Yeah, I think just a lot of questions still. I think just the overall trend is positive. It's exciting. And I'm glad that Pfizer related until Monday to, yeah. to release these results. The other thing too, is it to me, it just highlights again, the importance of getting the flu vaccine for athletes right now, for people right now, if you're able to, um, if you're someone who hasn't had responses to the flu vaccine or negative responses to the flu vaccine in the past. Um, but what we do tell athletes though, is is that if you're planning to get the flu vaccine, don't race for two to five yeah. days. I've seen athletes who get the flu vaccine on a Friday and then try to race on a Saturday and they may feel rough. Um, normal to have a little fatigue and just not feeling so great after the flu vaccine. Yeah, and as more info comes out on the COVID vaccine, Megan will be all on top of it and we'll be reporting back on implications for athletics and races and all that stuff. But the big message we want you to take away is hope. There's so much hope in the air right now and really lean into that feeling. I know it's a little bit abnormal right now, but give it a big hug because I think we're in a good spot as a, as a world, like, society. And what a way to end 2020. I yeah. feel like 2020, I never imagined saying hope at all within the end of 2020, just given the trajectory that we're going. Like our trajectory has taken the path of a drunken goose at this yeah, point. Yeah. So like, woo, let's, we'll take it. Yeah. Woohoo. Um, and so a couple little things that we wanted to just do a palate cleanser from current events to talk about um, that's a little bit related to what we were saying with ego in, in recognizing our own flaws and things. Um, so these are both related to pop culture things that I've been listening to on podcasts and, and watching on TV with Megan. So the first is the story of Domino's Pizza, which you probably remember that back like in 2008 or 2009, Domino's Pizza got these uh, internal test results and they found that they were rated at the same level 
uh, in public perception tied at the very bottom with Chuck E. Cheese for their pizza quality. It's, this is actually, this is really funny because I personally love Chuck E. Yeah, Cheese yeah. pizza. So I'd be the person that's like, yeah, Domino's, yeah, Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yeah, lean into that Chuck E. Cheese comparison. Um, in fact, get a big like animatronic rat to, to help too. Um, but yeah, so like, at that moment, they have a choice. You know, it's like, do you continue on that path? Do you be like, okay, we're actually good pizza or whatever. And instead, um, the the new CEO at the time's like, we'll just lean into this. They in, did a marketing campaign that had people saying, this pizza sucks. They had all the tweets from people saying, Domino's pizza makes me want to vomit. Um, and then that was their marketing. And they changed everything around. And in the process, they bet the company on acknowledging their own flaws and working to grow. And for whatever reason, like, I think that there's this perception that in America, it's like, no, you lean it, it's all confidence and, and per portraying like invincibility. But Domino's absolutely skyrocketed after that. And it's now the biggest pizza chain in the world and has had growth rates that are unmatched by um, any other pizza chain or almost any fast food chain. That's so cool. What I love about this too, is that it's, it's rare for an individual to take these steps and be like, I messed up. I'm yeah. sorry. I suck at this. You know, I'm going to work to improve. Here's my plan. But to do it as a business is even more rare. And I just like, I love this. Like, I wish we could have, I would love this as like a business school, case, business school case study. Yeah. And so on the flip side in a, uh, in a, uh, perhaps a tone shift is we watched the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, which is amazing. Props to Chernobyl. It's, I think it's one of my favorite miniseries I've seen and I love, so we've, we've been enjoying watching this every night. And on the third, the third episode, they give a warning. And it's like nudity may occur. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> nudity in a Chernobyl episode is going to be gross. Yeah. Nudity in Game of Thrones. I'm like, bring it on. Nudity in Chernobyl. I'm like, okay, no, thank you. Um, so, you know, the, essentially the, the story of what happened at Chernobyl to really distill it down to a final paste is that no one wanted to admit they're wrong. And the, the way that the show presented it is that the Soviet state set it up so that everyone was looking for advancement. Everyone was afraid to tell the plant manager or the plant manager was afraid to tell his bosses that things weren't perfect. And as a result, it led to the worst possible, worst case scenario of, you know, an, an explosion at a nuclear plant. Um, and, you know, the, what I what I thought was really interesting about that is like the reverse of dominoes. They're like, no one wanted to admit they weren't perfect. And in the process, like the absolute worst case imperfect scenario happened. Um, and, you know, I think those are two extremes that we're staking out to try to find some middle ground with like how you can present yourself and think about yourself. So how do you practice self-acceptance and self-love while still trying to grow and still acknowledging your faults and things like that. The uniting tie of both of those examples, though, between Domino's and Chernobyl is the fact that it was kind of life or death situations yeah. on the line. So Domino's may have had a spiraling death. A if business, they didn't, yeah, business a death. A business yeah. death, like if they didn't fix their pizza. And Chernobyl was going to kill millions of people if they didn't fix the, the situation at hand. And what I think is important on this topic, though, is it's not just like, you know, willingly, openly saying like, yeah. I messed up all the time, especially for females, because I think like, like when Imposter it's not, syndrome, like, yeah. yeah, when it's not like a life or death situation, like, you know, you don't have to be the first person to be like, oh my gosh, like, you know what I mean? It's like, I think it's important also in some situations to hold your ground, or if you're going to do this, to be very direct with it. So don't be like, I think I messed up. Be like, yeah. I messed up. I'm sorry. Um, and so that's something like I've really thought about is because my default is to, to like say I messed up all the damn time, even when in reality, I yeah. probably didn't. And so I think it's important not to like overcorrect and go in the opposite direction. Yeah, my lesson would be like, it's okay to ask for help and to lean on your support system. Like we all have that. And if we have to go at this alone, like each of those individuals did at Chernobyl, 
it's going to end in disaster for us. And like whatever you're going through, you know, obviously, hopefully it's not nuclear radiation or shitty pizza, both of which are tragedies, um, you know, but whatever you're going through, if you view it as like, okay, I have to get through this on my own, especially with things like mental health or athletics or, or anything, then it becomes so hard. And you're starting to just put yourself down these paths where you get to the points of no return over and over and over again. But the point is there is no point of no return. You can always turn back. You can always find support systems. So yeah, you're a freaking boss, but being a freaking boss also means that you can lean on people next to you. Like, like I lean on Megan and Megan leans on me and then we lean on our athletes and you know, um, that that is what it's all about. And, you know, I think that that's the beauty of like having a society at all. And, and like all these political discussions we're having is that, yeah, let's just lean on each other. Like we got this together. I think two points on this topic are one, that when you reach out for help or acknowledge the fact that you messed up, you garner a lot of respect from the people that you're reaching out to. I think it's rare for someone to do that. And I think it like, it just goes a long way in terms mm -hmm. of that respect. And people want to help. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, That's like the coolest thing. Like, right? oh yeah, I'm here for you. And it creates this like shared, I mean, it's, it also makes them more comfortable in that relationship. Yeah, with and you builds because vulnerability. They may... and... Exactly, exactly. And I think that the other point on this is that it's highly cathartic. Like, I don't know <laughs> if you've ever done that before. And it's like, it's like such a great emotion release. It's almost like, like you're like, it's like the stomach, the stomach yeah. bug analogy that I gave earlier, it's like coming out of stomach pains and you're like, oh gosh, I, I can like finally clear my head of this. And so I think like both the respect and the cathartic release go a long way for people. I love that. We're sharing so, so much and like finding, finding what we share happens through these, like these moments of admitting that, yeah, like we need a little bit of help. So um, that's the lesson that we learned, I guess, from pizza and radioactive. Activity. So do you want to get to topic one? Let's go for it. Uh, topic one is on overtraining. This question is from KS. Also, kudos to KS who asked this question in all caps. I love it. Yeah. Or it's at least appearing in all caps. On are, you gonna, are you going to scream? You should, I should, I scream. should definitely scream. What are some things to look out for in overtraining syndrome? I'm upping my mileage higher than I've ever run. And are my feet supposed to hurt all the time now? And then three uh, exclamation points. <laughs> That's actually super. My legs, my like lower legs do hurt whenever I wake up. I, that's not overtraining. So I don't think you need to worry too much about your feet hurting unless it's indicative of some other type of injury, but it gets to a broader discussion about overtraining. And so the place to start is on overreaching versus overtraining. Um, so over overreaching is actually potentially a good thing, particularly functional over, overreaching, where um, you have a slight reduction in performance, where after you rest, after you adapt, you get stronger. That's on the days to weeks time frame. Um, non-functional overreaching is where your recovery just happens to baseline. You want to avoid that, but sometimes you're going to put your hand on that stove and that's okay too. Um, and so overreaching is training. So when you're talking about, am I a little sore and I a little tired? That's okay in moderation. What you really must avoid at all costs is overtraining. I love how in the document right here, our, our podcast document notes, you have cellular level shitstorm as just the only <laughs> definition for overtraining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the definition that I have is purely cellular level shitstorm. Um, and there's a lot of studies on this that get into much, much better details. Um, and actually, there's a there's a quote that I think really gets at it slightly better than the shitstorm comment. I do love this quote. I will I will comment first though that there are a lot of studies out there on overtraining syndrome, but it is kind of this amorphous concept right now just yeah. because like clinically it's hard to diagnose. It's a diagnosis of exclusion at this point. Um, and for many athletes, the symptoms that they present with are quite different. And so we, we don't have a great understanding of this. The other point too is that it's hard to research. Like you're yeah. not going to induce overtraining syndrome and you're not going to yeah. see a study where it's like we took 20 overtrained athletes with, of course, it would be 18 males and two females. Like you're not going <laughs> to see that in a study. But well, in overtraining, 
saying it's probably just 20 different things that all kind of present similarly and cause similar impacts. That's why it's so complicated. I mean, this study said that um, in doing surveys of athletes, like 65% said that they had these symptoms at some point, but that seems really high. I mean, I don't know. I think it's really complicated. But these are great summary quotes. And this is from the 2011 article in Sports Health. Overtraining syndrome appears to be a maladapted response to excessive exercise without adequate rest, resulting in perturbations of multiple body systems, including the neurologic endocrinologic coupled with mood changes. Um, and so basically, it's an arbitrary definition that's essentially saying, okay, overreaching is when you get tired. Overtraining is when the body starts to shut down, um, and that this this primarily has its origins in the nervous system, um, and that's why, like as an athlete, you have to be really careful because we're not talking about you know playing at the margins of oh, am I a little sore? Might I get a stress fracture? Even we're talking about having your body shut down from like the brain on down. When and we, that happens. Like it happens to athletes all the time who keep pushing through those feelings. When we think about the nervous system and the symptoms and the impacts that athletes may experience related to the nervous system, I think it's helpful to break it down in terms of the sympathetic system and the parasympathetic system. Um, so the sympathetic system, and this is like a throwback to the med school days, is <laughs> yeah. classically thought of as like the fight or flight system. Um, so athletes who have abnormalities in their sympathetic uh, nervous system may experience insomnia, irritability, agitation, tachycardia, which is elevated heart rate, hypertension, which is elevated elevated blood pressure and restlessness. That was me all last week. <laughs> I think I was having some sympathetic nervous system issues. What we consider kind of like the flip side is the parasympathetic nervous system, which again, throwback to the med school is called rest or digest. And that's like, that's like the overall freeze defining the parasympathetic system. And athletes who have, may have abnormalities in the parasympathetic system may have fatigue, depression, bradycardia, which is a, a slowing of the heart rate, loss of motivation. Um, typically what I see with athletes is, and again, this is like, you know, it's highly individual is, is that sympathetic symptoms often happen mm -hmm. first. So we see often see athletes that have that elevated heart rate, um, kind of that feeling of like irritability and restlessness. And then as it progresses, you start getting into those parasympathetic systems where like fatigue, depression, bradycardia, and that's usually like the later stages of overtraining syndrome. Seeing you talk about that, it's super complicated because a lot of the sympathetic nervous system issues would almost seem if you're going through it, like they're being resolved as it transitions to parasympathetic, right? Like the heart rate goes up and then goes down. Um, and it's like, well, isn't that going down good? And then the other symptoms too kind of have that, you know, you can't tell where you're at on the spectrum. You could just as well being recovering as going the other direction. And it gets to, you know, you really have to pay attention because it's not just the nervous system. It also gets to the endocrine system where um, we'll see this sometimes in blood tests. And this is often our first hint that an athlete might be overtraining is you see these wild swings in their hormones, um, and especially for female athletes, but also male athletes with testosterone. And the big, yeah, I was gonna say the big thing I look at is these testosterone reductions um, incurring both in male and female athletes. The other thing that goes along with testosterone is sex hormone binding globulin, which mm. actually binds testosterone um, and impacts the amount of testosterone your body sees or the free testosterone. So you have your total testosterone, your sex hormone binding globulin, and then your free testosterone. So often what we see is a decrease in both total testosterone and free testosterone, um, and then also elevated sex hormone binding globulin, which means that your body is actually seeing less of these testosterone effects. The so you might still have the testosterone, but not like 
getting it cellularly or not like processing it? Exactly, exactly. Okay. The other thing that we see too um, are sometimes increases in cortisol levels. Yeah. Um, and that just is essentially a stress hormone. The thing about cortisol levels though is, is that it's like that has more day-to-day variation. Um, testosterone does it as well, but like it's important to take all of these metrics within a grain of salt. Like, you know, if you just took this test after running 24 miles yesterday, we expect that these, yeah. these levels and are likely- And just one thing being elevated is usually not a big deal. When this happens, it starts to touch everything, which is the hard part about overtraining syndrome in general. That's true. Yeah, the other things I look at for are increased inflammation in the body um, and then increased muscle breakdown. So creatinine kinase is a great measure of that. Um, yeah, and there's a bunch of different hypotheses by how this happened. Um, just to brush over a couple of them, um, there's the glycogen hypothesis, so it really has to do with fueling, central fatigue, where your body starts to shut down from the brain on down, um, lots of others, oxidative stress um, gets to your, there's one with hypothalamus, cytokines. I don't even know what this stuff is. I need more of your med school time. Um, but like, let's talk about how this actually works in for athletes that are, are doing it. Like first, the best prevention, the best cure is prevention or whatever they would say. Um, keep things easy, mainly fuel plenty. I've heard it said that it's really hard to overtrain if you're eating enough, but that eating enough is really hard to tell. It's not, doesn't necessarily mean you're wasting away. It can just be, you don't have that excess energy availability to adapt to the work you're doing. Um, so keep those two things in mind, um, and really pay attention to the little warning signals too. Um, like your clenching legs, uh, like if you have clenching legs at night, if you're starting to have sleep issues, um, anything think, else abnormal. I was going to say, I think mood issues are yeah. often one of the big things too. And I think like I've gotten to the point where I even notice like slight, I, I pay attention to very, very slight changes in my mood because that often does, it often does relate to training. And I encourage athletes to do the same sometimes. Yeah. And so, um, the big thing to, to remember as an athlete is that you mainly, you can avoid this. Like this isn't something that is a part of an athletic life. Overreaching is, but overtraining syndrome isn't. But we see athletes all the time interpret these fatigue signals as good things. And adaptation doesn't happen from any of these things. Like overreaching, yes, but overtraining, no. Um, so as you start to feel a little over the edge in any way, um, and that adds like your life stress, like we felt last week with the election, start to dial back, dial back a ton, take three days off immediately. Because if you start to do that, like you have to push for a long time into a deficit for this to really, for the shit storm to happen. I think the thing about dialing back too is, is that it's great for your longevity as yeah. a runner, which is something that I think about often, especially as we're aging runners right now. Yeah. Uh, the other thing too is, is that from what I've seen anecdotally in athletes, and there's not great research out there on this, is, is that once athletes do have overtraining or overtraining syndrome, they become, they seem to become more susceptible to yeah. that in the future. And I don't know if that's like an endocrine based thing, like the body has memory for this, or that it's the fact that it's like an athlete's underlying characteristics and the fact that like they're like mentally willing to push that makes them more susceptible to that. So it's like, it's interesting to think about like the causal mechanisms behind that, but it's definitely something that I've seen. Yeah. And so try to avoid stepping up to the edge. Um, if you happen to step over it at any point in your life, it's okay. And you can get back, but just stay three steps away, right? Like your body will find its potential as long as you like, don't, you don't need to peek over the edge of the Grand Canyon because it is a long fall down. Um, just stay back, get some good selfies, get some good photos, and then you can post those on Instagram and we'll all be happy. So any parting messages? I think for me, just give your body love. Like, yeah. you know, and also keep the hope rolling right now. There's a lot of good things going on in the world. Yeah. And spread that love, spread that hope, lean into these feelings. Uh, we love you guys. We love America. Woohoo! Thanks everyone.